Stephanie graduated from Shaw University with a degree in business administration in 1990. She moved to Washington, D.C., and she took a job with the government. Stephanie got married, had three kids. She was doing well on her job. She was moving up. She was getting promotions, awards for her work. She was there for 15 years. And then her job had to make some cuts. Some cuts. And so Stephanie asked her church family that she was active in, an active member, to pray for her. To pray that she would not be one of those who would be cut from the job. And the church prayed. They prayed uh, for Stephanie and they prayed for other needs within the body. Stephanie made it through the first round. She made it through the second round. She made it through the third round. And she got to the fourth round, and she believed that she was safe. This was going to be the last cuts. Two weeks before Thanksgiving, Stephanie lost her job. Stephanie was hoping that Jesus Christ would meet her need. She was hoping that she would not lose her job at all. And she lost her job. In this room this morning, I'm sure there are needs. You may not have shared them at all, but I'm sure there's needs in this room. They're minor and some are major, but you have needs. And for many of you, you're praying and asking Christ, would you please do this for me? For some, you've been praying for years. For some, maybe you just started last week. And for others, this week coming up, a need may arise and you're going to have to pray. And you're going to ask others to pray and you're going to hope that Christ will meet your need. This morning, I don't want to trivialize anything you're hoping in Jesus Christ for at all. But as we come to this text in Luke 24, I think it's going to help us to think about our human needs and when our human needs meet disappointment. And it can be very hard and it can be very tough. And we're going to see that this morning as we journey through Luke 24. This is, as you know, this is not a letter, so there's no do this and don't do that at all. It's a story. It's a narrative. But we can glean from it. And so this morning, Christ Church Roseville, I preach for your joy in Christ. I preach for your joy in Christ, and I want you to know this morning as we go through this text, and this is the point of these verses, Jesus died to meet your greatest need, to deliver you from your greatest pain, so you can live to proclaim the greatness of his name. Jesus died to meet your greatest need, to deliver you from your greatest pain, so you can live to proclaim the greatness of his name. So as we journey through these verses, we're going to see that. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at three, three interactions, 
on the day in which Jesus died and rose again. We're going to start in verses 1 through 12. The first scene will be at the tomb. The second scene will be on the road, and the last scene will be in the room. So we're going to look at the tomb, we're going to look at the road, and we're going to look in the room. And what we'll notice as we walk through here is that there's two responses. There's the human view of Jesus' death, and then we're going to see heaven's view of Jesus' death. The human view of Jesus' death and heaven's view of Jesus' death. The human view of Jesus' death is that it meets our earthly needs. Heaven's view is that it meets our eternal needs. You know, everyone in this room, we go back and forth between those two things. The human view of life and the heaven's view of life, we go back and forth. You'll go back and forth five years from now. You'll go back and forth ten years from now. But you'll go back and forth trying to process life, trying to think through needs, joys, pains, doctor's appointments. You'll think through them, and you'll go back and forth. But this morning, I want to lift up, as we've already been doing, through singing, through the opening, through everything this morning, the greatest need has been met in Christ. The greatest need you have has been met in Christ. And I want you to remember that. Because you're going to forget. Because life hits hard. And you're going to be reminded your greatest need has been met. So let's journey quickly through here. We're going to look at our first scene in verses 1 through 12. Jesus at the tomb. Jesus at the tomb. And it says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And so we're going to stop there, those verses. It's a very familiar story. These women went to the tomb. Jesus has died, and they were going because they expected that Jesus was dead. And so they took the spices with them. These women knew that no individual who had been crucified was alive again at all. They were dead. Everyone they saw who had been crucified had experienced that shame, that humiliation on the cross. They knew that Jesus was dead. When they come to the tomb, it says here that they engage with Two men in dazzling apparel, most like the angels we learned from Matthew's account. And it's interesting, in verse 6, Jesus says to one of the ladies, remember. Remember, or the angels, I'm sorry, I said to him, remember how he told you. Remember. Verse 7, it says, remember that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. They said, remember. It's interesting. They had all this knowledge. The angels could have said to them, remember how he turned water into wine. Remember how he fed the 5,000. Remember how he healed Jairus' daughter. Remember those things. Or he could have said, remember how he told the man to pick up his bed and walk. Remember. Remember. It's interesting, he doesn't say any of those things. He says, remember what he said. Remember what he 
said. It's interesting, beloved, because God has graciously chosen to speak. He's chosen to speak to us and give us his word, and he's protected that word. He's preserved that word. We have a copy of his word that we can read it. God has chosen to reveal himself, to speak, and he says to them, remember, Christ church, I say to you, remember his words. Remember. Christ church, Roswell, it is good. It is good to get doctrine. It is good to read articles. It's good to read blogs. It's good to understand dead theologians. theologians. It's good to understand the living ones. It's good to listen to podcasts. But don't miss this. Remember what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said, Christ Church, Roseville. This first interaction, the angels tell them, remember. Remember that he said he had to die and rise again very important. It's going to come up again. We move quickly. These women, they leave. They return to the disciples and the rest of the group, and they tell them in verse 11, and it says, these words seem to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Did not believe them at all. It's interesting. These women are the first witnesses to the resurrection, and one writer said the first missionaries of the church. And they weren't believed. They weren't believed. Christ Church, Roseville, the heavenly view tells us to remember. To remember. To remember. And you all do a beautiful job of that. I love how you shape worship by scripture. This time was just saturated with scripture so that you remember it. It's beautiful. But remember this, Jesus died to meet your greatest need, to deliver you from your greatest pain so that you can live to proclaim the greatness of his name. Let's look at scene two, the road, 13 through 35. It says two of them, two of them, two of the group could have been two men, could have been a man and a woman, not sure, but two of them who were part of the group who were mourning Jesus' death, they were talking as they traveled to a village named Emmaus, and it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're walking from Jerusalem. Now, seven miles from Christ Church Roseville is Triangle Town Center. So they're walking. So keep that in your mind. Imagine if you're walking from here to Triangle Town Center, about seven miles. And verse 16 tells us that Jesus joins them on their journey. But it says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus joins them on their journey. And, uh, and so Jesus chimes in and asks them, what are they talking about? What is going on? And the text says that they stood still looking sad. They were looking sad. Looking sad. It refers to their countenance. They had a gloomy look on their face. They were dejected. This is no stroll in Pullen Park on a Sunday at all. They're sad. They're down. This is an emotionally hard and painful walk for these men or this man and woman. There's, there's no joking. There's no laughing. They're down. 
Jesus' response doesn't bring any comfort because Cleopas responds in verse 18. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? All he's saying to Jesus, brother, where you been? Where you been, brother? It would be like someone returning to work at RDU Airport on September 12, 2001 the day after the terrorists attacked the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and being asked by a coworker, why is security so tighter today? Why? I say, where you been? Where have you been? Certainly what Jesus just said is not helping at this moment. And listen closely to what they're about to say to Jesus Christ, because we're going to get the human view of Jesus' death right here in these verses. Verse 19, he says, And concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, verse 21, but we had hoped, but we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Key in this is verse 21. It says, but we had hoped. But we had hope. What was their hope? They were hoping that Jesus would redeem Israel. That was their hope. hope. It's actively waiting for God's fulfillment. And so they were continuously hoping in the fact that Jesus Christ was going to be the one. So they were following him. They were listening to him because they believed they had found the one who was going to redeem Israel. We found him. There's our hope. They said he was a prophet. He was mighty indeed. They were hoping for him to redeem Israel. Israel. Beloved, I'm going to ask you this morning right now, what are you hoping Jesus will do? What are you hoping Jesus will do? For some, you're hoping Jesus will provide a new job. Some, you may be hoping Jesus will heal your body of aches and pains. For some, you're hoping Jesus will heal your body of cancer or some other illness. For some of you, you're hoping that Jesus will strengthen your marriage. For some of you, you're hoping that Jesus will give you direction about opportunities that you have in life. For some of you, you're hoping that Jesus will remove the hurt of a broken relationship or in marriage. For some, you're hoping that Jesus will help you in raising your children. For some, you're hoping that Jesus will remove some healthy influence in your children's life. You're hoping. You're hoping that Jesus will provide for your financial needs. You're hoping that Jesus will bring peace and civility to the political process. What are you hoping for? There's nothing wrong with hoping. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We all want our hopes to be answered, to be met. The woman in scene one, Cleopas and his friend in scene two, and the rest of the group, as we will look at in scene three, they were hoping that Jesus would redeem Israel. That's what they were hoping for. 
They weren't thinking about the Gentiles. They were only thinking about Israel. Do it, God. Do it. And that's why, if you remember, they laid down palm branches when Jesus rode in a few days earlier. He's going to redeem Israel. That's why, you remember, Judas was following him because he wanted to be in the party that was going to overthrow Roman rule. You remember, that's why James and John, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, she asked for her sons to sit on the right and on the left. She was hoping that Jesus would redeem Israel. You remember, that was true of even of King Herod. He was concerned, and so that's why he had all the babies killed two years and younger, because he was concerned about the one who could redeem Israel. You remember that Israel at one time was great. Israel was great. You remember that God gave them the law. He gave them the stipulations by which they were to live and how they were to be a blessing to the surrounding nations, to be a blessing to one another. You remember that, and you remember what God said in Deuteronomy 28, if you obey and if you disobey. You remember he had to raise up the prophets to call them to himself. There was a time in which Israel was great. Then they got booted out the land. Nation upon nation had put their boot on Israel's neck. And during Jesus' ministry, there was Rome. And so here they were. Here's the one that will redeem Israel. That's what they were hoping for. What are you hoping Jesus Christ will do? So we go back to Cleopas and his friend as they travel on the road to Emmaus and feel the historical, the cultural, the emotional weight of their disappointment, of their anguish. The man they were hoping for is dead. The man they had followed, trusted in, is dead. Now what? What do we do? Have you been there with Jesus? Are you there right now? Wanting him to meet the need. It's as if when Cleopas says we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, as if he was saying Jesus Christ couldn't close the deal. He was great. He was a great prophet. He did miracles, but just couldn't do it. Beloved, we all have hopes and needs that we hope Jesus will meet. <clears throat> and I can't stand here and say to you from Scripture that Jesus will meet all of your needs in life. I can't say that to you at all. I can say that Jesus knows every one of your needs and he knows them better than you do. And I cannot stand before you and say that all of your needs that you believe are of the utmost importance are in the same category in the mind of God. I can say your needs are real and God fully knows them. But that does not mean God is obligated to meet any of your needs. I won't stand here and say as some will falsely teach that your faith is weak. You need to sow a seed. You need to run around this building seven times. Blab it and grab it. Believe it and receive it. Your breakthrough is next week. I won't say those things. They're not true. 
But I can say when it comes to needs and those things are real that God has set up here a place where you can come and share with other people. That doesn't mean they can meet all your needs, but you have small groups. You have men and women who love you. They can pray for you. They can ask you questions about your need to think through it. Uh, They can maybe connect you with people or other people or resources. They may say this is not the best thing. We don't think this is the wisest thing at this time. You do have small groups that can help you journey through these needs you have. You got that. You do have elders who love you and they can share with you. They can pray for you. They can offer direction and wisdom and help you also to think through it. But once again, that doesn't mean they can meet the need. So God has placed some jewels here that you can use as you wrestle with the needs of life. But remember this, when you share your needs with other members here, or you share your needs with the elders, you're sharing needs. And we have these needs because of the messiness of life, because of sin. Sins in life. Life is messy. And it's interesting here, Jesus enters into the messiness of life, of unfulfilled hope to bring comfort and clarity to these people. Life's messy. And the Savior company comforting sinners is different than sinners comforting sinners. And so as we bring the needs, remember you are not the Savior. You're not Jesus Christ. You are a sinner saved by grace, ministering to another sinner saved by grace. And so remember, beloved, life is messy. People have situations they get into. Hopes will fail. And at times, from the human view, Christ will not meet your hope. So may you love on each other with grace and mercy. Love on each other because you're not the Savior. No matter how much you know, no matter who you can quote, no matter how much you've read, you're not the Savior. Your knowledge is finite. His is infinite. Be humble. So I can say to you with your hopes plan, as it says in Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And no matter what, beloved, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, whether you get the need or not, Holy, say, Holy Spirit, help me to give thanks in all things. Give thanks. But then also remember this, any need that Christ meets post-cross is grace. It's grace. Anything he does is grace. You don't deserve it at all. Verse 26 and 27, it says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus Christ, at this moment to them, he gives them Old Testament Survey 101. He walks them through. We're going to talk about that a little later. But he walks them through, and after breaking the bread, their eyes were opened. And it says in there, didn't our hearts burn within us as he interpreted the scriptures? Then our hearts burn with, and let me ask you, does your heart burn? Are you greatly moved when scriptures open? Did you say, man, 53 verses? Oh, Lord, goodness gracious. As she was reading it, come on. 
You just read a few of them? Did your heart burn? Did your heart burn with that story? Beloved, if you don't want to know what Scripture says about every area of life, then you don't want Jesus. You don't want Jesus. You want Jesus to, to communicate. What do you say about every area of life? What do you say about parenting, marriage, being single, divorce, pain, trials, anger, pride, joy, ethnicity, ethnocentrism, sex, forgiveness, and we could go on. What does Christ have to say about everything? That's what you want. Does your heart burn? Does it burn? Do you want to know what Scripture says? You all know this, but Jesus had a very high view of Scripture. <clears throat> over and over again in Scripture, God shapes his people by his word. By his word. By his word. This is the second time Scripture has been brought up to address human disappointment. It happened with the ladies. It happens now with Cleophas and the other individual. But this is not the last time. And so we move to our final scene. In our final scene, in this chapter, Jesus is with the entire group of his followers. Again, this would include the women, Cleophas, and the disciples. It's as if like kind of a mini reunion going on here. This is the last meeting of the day in which Christ rose from the grave. And just as in the other meetings, the heaven's view will meet human disappointment of Jesus' death. Once again, remember, Jesus died to meet your greatest need, to deliver you from your greatest pain so that you can live and proclaim the greatness of his name. We're in verses 44 through 49. Jesus enters the room where the disciples are as they are discussing the day's events, and they are startled. They're frightened at his presence. And in verse 44, Jesus reminds them of the words that he spoke to them. He says, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Third time this has come up. Third time. In each of these scenes, these words serve as the key of heaven's view of the greatest need. The greatest need that needed to be fulfilled was not for Israel to be redeemed. The greatest need was for their sin to be paid for. The greatest need from heaven was to deliver men and women from their greatest pain. The greatest pain you will ever experience if you're not in Christ is in hell forever. That is the greatest pain. Now, our minds sometimes can't wrap around that because we're fallen creatures. Hell for eternity is the greatest pain you'll ever experience. And Christ comes to deliver us from that, and that's why he says Jesus had to suffer and rise again on the third day. He had to do this for them. He had to do this for you. That's what he had to do. That's why we were singing about Christ's death. As Landon said, we can't forget this. You need to be reminded of this week in and week out. You deserve hell. 
You deserve hell. You have been delivered by Christ. He has met your greatest need. And the beauty of this, Jesus goes on to say that he began in the Old Testament. And he says, everything written about Jesus in the law of Moses, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything, not just a few promises, not just a few verses. He's saying everything is about me. The whole story's about me. Everything. Christ Church Roseville, your story in this life is secondary. Christ's story is first. Nothing against your story, nothing against my story, but Christ's story is the most important story in life. And so Christ Church Roseville, I preach for your joy in Christ. You're not the star of, star of the story of Scripture. I preach for your joy in Christ. America is not the star of the story in Scripture. It is Christ. I preach for your joy in Christ. Reformed theology is not the star of Scripture. It is Christ. Any kind of theology is not the star. It is Christ. Christ is the star. He's the one to worship. He's the one to behold. He's the one that you hope in. Christ Church Rosa, beloved, you're here this morning because Christ satisfied God's wrath. And if you're here right now, in your relationship with God, if it's just you and God, and you die, you're going to spend eternity in hell. But God in his grace has provided a way for you to be at peace with him. It is by trusting in Jesus Christ. Believe on him and you'll have everlasting life. You need peace. You don't come into the world with God at peace. It's peace is in another person. Trust in Christ. He is the offer. Accept the offer of peace in Christ. Christ Church Roseville, Jesus Christ came not to remove the boot of Rome, but he came to remove the boot of sin. He came to remove the boot of sin, and he has done that for all of us. But don't miss this as we come to the end. More could be said about that. We said Jesus died to meet your greatest need, which was to be delivered from sin. To deliver you from the wrath of God. But the end, I said, was so that you can live to proclaim the greatness of his name. Where do you get that? Well, that's in the last few verses. Verse 47 and 49. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is our last verses here. It's interesting. Christ did not reshape his plan to meet their need. Christ reshaped their plans. He reshaped their plans, and his plan was much greater than just redeeming Israel. He came to redeem men and women from all nations, from every tribe, tongue, and nations. He died. He shed his blood to create a diverse, multi-ethnic, cross-cultural group of people. That's what Christ did. He changes their plans, and that's what he does for you and I. He changes our plans. It's like Cleophas, you remember, they were walking away from Jerusalem, but when they got the word, they went back to Jerusalem. When they heard the good news, they got changed. 
Christ Church Roseville. When anyone preaches from this pulpit or teaches the word, there should be change that happens. It may be slow, it may be fast, but there should be some change. If you're coming and you're just getting knowledge and you're being filled with knowledge and you're just debating, showing your opinions and your opinions and, and your views, that's cool, but Christ came to change you. He came so that you might obey his word. Not just have a high view of scripture, but have a high view of obedience. I preach for your joy in Christ. And so Christ Church Roseville, may you take the message of the gospel to the nations. May you not just, yes, take it to the nations, but may you not just take it to the nations. May you not just get on planes and go over the pond, but may you go across the street. May you go to your neighbor. May you go to the person that's on your son or daughter's baseball team. May you share the gospel where you live in your community and where you work. May you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because Christ met your greatest need by delivering from your greatest pain so that you might live for the greatness of his name. Let's pray.